Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Charlotte Northworthy. In this season seven finale of The Lead, I talk to Grady alumnus Daniel Funky. You might recognize that name as he was the first host of The Lead podcast back in 2016. And I can't tell you how strange yet exciting it is to have him sitting on the opposite side of the episode today. He is now a misinformation reporter for PolitiFact and an advisor for the EC Current, Eckerd College's student newspaper. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Well, welcome back, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's this so wild so to be exciting. here. <laughs> so to address the elephant in the room, how does it feel to be being the one interviewed on the podcast that you helped create? That's kind of your legacy, right? Yeah, extremely bizarre. Um, yeah, so I'm having a ton of flashbacks. I mean, I think this is my first time really like in Grady since I graduated. I think I stopped by like a couple times. Um and for uh, the listeners on the podcast, I think that's been about two and a half years. Um, so I haven't been out that long, but it is completely weird to be on the other side of the table. And like, I kind of like am sitting in your shoes right now, like in the anxiety of like interviewing somebody and like the prep work that goes into it to the mixer that we were talking about. So it's cool to be here. Right. And it's kind of crazy how so much has changed, but at the same time, not much has changed. Yeah, absolutely. Like walking over here, like I feel like I had all the muscle memory. Like I knew which doors to push and like which ways to take. And yeah, it doesn't feel like anything has changed at all. <laughs> well, it's great to have you back. And you've kept busy in true form since we last saw each other. And I'm excited to catch up. You've been covering fact checking and misinformation for Pointer and now PolitiFact. So what about this growing sector of political coverage do you find interesting? Yeah, so I kind of got thrown into fact-checking and misinformation, which I expect we'll talk about in a moment. But um, I think it's a really cool section of journalism just because it tackles, like, one of the biggest problems facing media. And that's something I always told myself I would want to do is, like, I, I never really had, like, a section of journalism that I was really interested in. I was always interested in, like, solving problems or like addressing a need in the industry. Um, so like that's why I was in digital for a while because I was like, you know, newsrooms need to be more digital. Um, and I saw like fact checking and misinformation like kind of as an outgrowth of that goal or mission. Um, so yeah, and I think it's really interesting because like fact checkers are these like tiny little spry teams. Like there are more than 150 different fact checking organizations around the world and they often like average like six or eight staff members. Um, and that's such a small team compared to most newsrooms, but these these organizations are doing such great work and such important work, fact-checking misinformation and politicians and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I like how spry they are. I also like how um, quickly they've adapted to uh, the digital space. So a lot of these um, organizations, PolitiFact included, like sprung up after um, the mid-aughts. So like they were all digital native organizations, so to speak. Um, so they had to adhere to these new um, media systems that a lot of newsrooms are having to adapt to. Like it's just native for fact checkers. So they're doing a lot of like interesting innovation, um, whether it be automation, whether it be social media, um, they're just kind of like prepped for those changes I found. Um, and then finally, like I think fact checking, I've been drawn to it just because it's a public service. We talk a lot about at PolitiFact about um, how we're serving voters, how we're serving readers. And it's really like, it is that mindset. Um, it's like, so if a reader asks us a question, we take it really seriously. Like we, we try to write a story off of that. Um, about like 50, 
50% of the fact checks from the Washington Post fact checker, one of our competitors, um, come from readers. So they actually like source from voters the most. Um, so we're always thinking like, what's the value add for voters? Like, what are we adding to discourse? Um, it's not, we won't necessarily jump on every story. We always wanna make sure we're adding something to the narrative. Um, so I can ramble on about fact checking forever, but those are like some of the highlights for me. Was there a steep learning curve when stepping into this sector of news or was it fairly easy to get into? Um, I'm going to say it was definitely a learning curve. That's a good question. I mean, I was thrown into it. So like journalism has its niches, right? Um, and I didn't really know anything about it before I started. Uh, I was like interested in misinformation, um, but I didn't really, and I knew PolitiFact actually was like a big fan in college, which is wild. Like having, going full from circle. great, I know full circle, going from here um, to PolitiFact was simply wild. But um, yeah, I just discovered this whole new world that I just didn't know existed. And it's kind of wild. I never learned about it, like in college or even just being in media. Um, because there are so many people doing fact-checking journalism. It's so interesting and it addresses a lot of the problems you talk about, um, especially in college media. Um, so yeah, it, it took me a while to learn like the characters, um, to learn like uh, the studies and what like academics say about fact-checking and its impact. Um, and I just had to learn like the methodology of fact-checking basically. Um, so yeah, it was a steep learning curve, but also like it was nice to start with a blank slate. Um, something Grady taught me a lot, um, which I didn't really believe at the time because I was like some 19 year old that didn't want to hear from his professor, uh, was to have a specialty, like always be specializing, find something you're interested in and just chase it. I wanted to be a generalist. I was like, I like to do a lot of everything. I'm like, I don't want to be nailed down to something. But what I found is that learning that niche community has really helped me and like honed my interest um, and has like made me valuable in terms of a journal because like I'm adding something I'm not necessarily like um, you know covering everything I'm covering this one space but people can come to me with questions about it or uh, what have you so I have found that having like that niche has been helpful um, so yeah it was hard but I feel like I'm getting a hang of it. So can you take me through your process on how you go about fact checking let's say you get something in from from a reader and you've been assigned to figure that out what it what exactly does that entail and how is that different than say a typical verification process at a standard newsroom yeah um so fact checking is interesting because it goes a step further than verification so when we talk about fact checking methodologies we always start with find which is when you find a fact to check um it sounds really basic but it's actually hard and probably the more um, laborious part of the process because you have to find what's fact checkable, what's not fact checkable, um, what's interesting, what's relevant, what's being talked about. Um, and we always go back to like the, um, the hmm factor, I guess. Like, does it make you wonder? Like, it would an average person hear that and wonder if it's true? Um, so we spend a lot of time on the find part um, and we talk about that um, on Slack or we just bounce it off editors. Um, so that's the first part. And then we do the check part. Um, and that's when we go and like check it against primary sources. Um, we might call up academics and do something called triangulating the truth, which is when we talk to like a variety of academics or experts um, of different persuasions. So they can be from liberal think tanks or conservative think tanks. Um, and then whatever they say that uh, is has a commonality, that's probably the truth. Um, not the perfect way to fact check, but a method. Uh, and then where it differs from verification is that goes a step further and we actually correct stuff um, very publicly. So. Um, this is what makes like fact-checking journalism different because in a newsroom, you might just um, do the finding part, you might check it, and then you'll 
just you know fix it in your story or keep it the same. Um, but fact checking actually uh, goes a step further and says, no, this is false and here's why. Um, so it sounds like combative. It almost sounds like advocacy journalism to a lot of people because if President Trump says something and PolitiFact comes out and says, no, that's wrong, it seems like they're taking a side. Um, but we're actually not. We're actually like using evidence-based reporting to prove why something is false. Um, and obviously fact checking takes something that someone has said in public and makes that the story as opposed to verification where you're just like checking your own work and you might not necessarily like publicize um, falsehoods that sources tell you. Um, you'll just leave them out or, you know, fact check them in the story or whatever. We actually like make a story out of statements. Um, so yeah, that is a very long winded answer to your question, but. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's a very unique process, but it's a growing one. Um, and I think that that's been a huge uh, challenge for a lot of news organizations is sort of how do we tackle this idea of fact checking and how is that different than our standard verification process? So no, it's very interesting. And so what do you think will be the key challenges for reporters of all types going into this 2020 election? Yeah, so I have spent a lot of time, I've covered misinformation for about like a year and a half or two years. Um, so I'm very familiar with the ins and outs of how it works, like the key players. Um, something that is new to me is covering like politics very robustly, which is obviously one of PolitiFact's missions, you know, started in 2007 um, to cover the 2008 election. Um, and politics is like our bread and butter. So I'm kind of like learning like the ins and outs of like, um, who do I talk to? Like if I have a question from the Speaker of the House or like, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I'm still new to that. But for any, pretty much any journalist covering the election, something we're going to see is like conspiracies. Indeed, we're already seeing is like conspiracies being floated, um, not only by like fringe people on the Internet, um, but also like mainstream politicians and their allies. Um, so, for example, like recently we've been covering Rudy Giuliani and the stuff he's been saying in the media, like accusing Hunter Biden of like basically all this nonsense in Ukraine, taking this nugget of truth um, and trying to twist it into something that it's not. Uh, so I have spent a lot of time thinking about how to responsibly report on that. And I think other reporters should also think about that. So to pivot slightly, you also now serve as the advisor for the EC Current, which is Eckert College's student newspaper. I know you basically lived at the Red and Black newspaper while you were at Grady. So can you describe how this new role has been for you? Yeah, this is an exciting and very fun new role for me. Um, you know, I have made, uh, I haven't been very quiet about how much I love the Red and Black and how much I love student media. Um, it literally formed me and made me into the journalist I am. So, you know, yada, yada, yada whatever. Uh, everyone loves student media. But, like, I am so happy to, like, actually um, serve as an advisor for students. Um, Eckerd is, like, this tiny little college um, in St. Petersburg, Florida, where I live on the Gulf Coast of Florida. There are about, like, 2,000 students. Um, it's a private school, so it couldn't be more different than UGA. Like, it's small and private. Um but it has been so interesting to be like on the other side of things, uh, you know, in college at the red and black, like I think there is always this natural tension between the students and the advisor, um, even though the red and black is independent, even though like it has this legacy of great journalism. And even though like Rebecca Burns, the advisor now is like amazing. Um, and I take a lot of my cues from her, actually. Uh, there's always just, just the tension because you're the students and they're the adult. Um, and now I'm like on the other side of that. And it's so interesting. It's like very humbling. And I kind of understand what the advisor is going through now. Um, because I'm not even that much older, right? I'm like 25 years old and I'm like advising these college students on like how to do their work better. And I do think there is some value in that, right? It's interesting to hear from someone that um, is close to you in age, but might not be um, obviously like the same age or like way older. Um, so they come, they're closer to an experience to you. Um, 
so they can actually communicate to you in an interesting way and all that kind of stuff. But um, so yeah, that has been a lot of fun. Uh, also challenging in a lot of ways. It makes you realize like how much students look to their advisors and look to their mentors um, for feedback and how much that is like not just something they give. It's something that takes like a lot of work and forethought. Like I, I was like, oh, this will be like a fun little job for me to do on the side. And now it's like rapidly becoming like a very like time consuming and um, important job to do. Uh, just thinking about how to best critique students work or how to best serve their needs. Um, it's a lot of fun, though. Thanks for asking about it. <laughs> so uh, talking about more about the Red and Black and just your Grady experience as a whole, how do you think your experiences at Grady helped shape your goals and where you are now? And what are some things that you maybe left behind while you were at Grady? Yeah, so I think um, Grady serves as an interesting supplement for student media. So I always say like I learned like pretty much everything I know about journalism um, by doing it at the Red and Black or through internships. Um, I kind of just learned like the hard way, <laughs> like whether it come whether that be like my first correction or my first like interview or my first read through with an editor. Um, I always learned on the job, and that's just I'm a visual learner. Like I'm a like tactile learner. That's like how I learn, but. Um, I think Grady was really invaluable in terms of giving you the context you need to um, learn about why you're doing the stuff you're doing at the Red and Black. Um, so, you know, st for example, like communication law to this day is like my favorite class I've ever taken. And it was so, so hard. And like I stayed up all night long, like studying for those finals and writing those in-depth law papers. Um, but it really was like, wow, this is something that like I really do need to know. Uh, and, I, you know, college is great, but a lot of the classes you take um, there's not always stuff that you can see direct takeaways from. Um, so com law was that stuff where I was like highlighting and like earmarking. And to this day, I still have my textbook like at my desk at my job because I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to run into in a situation where I'm going to have to know this. Um, so I think it provided some in interesting like contextual experience uh, for what I was doing at the Red and Black. Um, so yeah. And, th and then that said, like, on the other side of things, Grady has such an incredible support network. So stuff like this, like the Cox Institute and like doing the lead podcast was like so helpful in terms of like trying stuff out. Grady has this mindset where it's like, if you want to go do it, just do it. Um, and that's really cool because like a lot of schools don't necessarily let you do that, especially like big established like Ivy League schools like are not going to just like let you create your own thing, right? They're like, we're Harvard. We're not going to let you just do whatever you want. And Grady is like a very... Um, not exper experiential college, uh, which I really, really liked. Um, and professors are always open to hooking you up with internships or like um, doing stuff like this or, um, you know, what have you. So I loved Grady. So as a final question, what advice would you offer to students who are either intimidated by the political climate or the changing media landscape uh, or, or who maybe feel the same way that you felt whenever you graduated. You said you were a generalist and you kind of wanted to have your hands in a lot of different buckets. What advice would you offer to students like that? Yeah, I would say be open to anything that comes your way. Um, I think like something I have learned a lot uh, since I graduated is that when you are especially when you're on like top of your game when you're a senior in college and you feel like you really understand journalism and that you're doing it every day and you might have like a slew of great internships. Um, you picture your post-graduation life a certain way. I was very much like, I want to be in New York City. I want to be in Washington, D.C. I want to be like, uh, I, I think I wanted to be like a digital producer. So I was like, I want to be at like a top shop, right? Um, and I pictured my life a certain way and it did not go that way completely at all. Like I moved to Florida. I did like a fellowship at a nonprofit. I was like, covering media it was just stuff that like I wasn't expecting um but it turned out to be 
great and like super interesting and like I feel like I'm doing high impact work but it all happened because I was like sure like I'll try this new opportunity um and being open to it uh, and not necessarily having those like hard lines in the sand where you have to be and at one place or have to be um uh, doing one certain job I would just say like as long as you're happy like with what you're doing just do it um, because like the rest will figure itself out. Right. Um, and the skills that you learned and the stuff that you're interested in aren't going away just because your life isn't planning out the exact way you think. Um, and it's actually helped like helps cure your anxiety a little bit. There's so much anxiety wrapped in in college, especially college journalism, um, that if you just like say, you know what, I know I'm good. Like I know I've learned all I can learn. Um, and you just like put yourself out there. The stuff will come to you. People will see that you have that talent. Um, so yeah, I would just say be open to stuff, um, keep working really hard and just be prepared to be super humbled because that way you felt walking up to the red and black building or walking to Grady, like your first day freshman year is how you're going to feel every single day of your twenties. <laughs> I promise like every single day. Uh, and, um, every time you take a new job too. Right. So like I switched from pointer to PolitiFact over the summer. Um, and when I, I, at Pointer, I felt like I kind of had a handle on this stuff, right? I was just starting to get my groove on, um, but I was ready for a new challenge, obviously. And then when I started PolitiFact, it was like square one, like walking up to the red and black uh, first day of college again. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? And I think it's about being comfortable with that and being open to learning and um, not necessarily letting your like lack of knowledge um, or lack of like attainment of things that you thought you would get scare you, but like letting it drive you and um, intrigue you to like keep chasing the stuff you want. Um, I kind of probably could have said that better, but whatever. <laughs> no, it was very eloquent. Daniel, this has been such a pleasure. It's so wild to be interviewing you, but thank you for setting up such an amazing platform for me to be able to talk to you today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for taking it to the next level. You know, I think the lead was one of my favorite projects in college. So it's so cool to see it take off. Thanks so much for tuning in to a particularly special Season 7 of The Lead Podcast. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy. This episode was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. We're excited to meet you back here in 2020 with new media leaders. For more episodes, subscribe to The Lead on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Until next time.